In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. These words that are always consoling and filled with hope take on a special meaning during this Easter season. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. These words bring to mind an experience through which I embarrassed myself one of the many times I've embarrassed myself. And I was, to be honest, interiorly critical over some of the Easter decorations in the sanctuary of a church I was visiting on occasion of a, a funeral or a wedding or just a day of recollection some pastoral work I had. And the sanctuary was arrayed in beautiful Easter flowers, tulips, some roses. Very beautiful. But what seemed to detract from the beauty of the array of flowers were artificial stands of butterfly. The butterfly was attached to a thin, long uh, metal rod and stuck in some kind of uh, foam or styrofoam. And those artificial butterflies also decorated the sanctuary. And I was saying to myself and as I usually do, I don't have too many unpublished thoughts and shared my seemingly constructive criticism with uh, the closest person to me, maybe a brother priest, I don't remember. And I said, how can't we do better than this? These gaudy butterflies. It's sufficient to have those flowers. And the response was, Father, do you know the significance of the butterfly? And then I embarrassed myself a little bit more. I said, well, I guess they look a little bit like flowers. They're very colorful and they have pretty wings, but these are artificial. And he said, well, you're not gonna have live butterflies flying around the sanctuary. And he said, do you know how a butterfly is formed? I said, yeah, I guess it starts as a caterpillar and eventually becomes a butterfly. And the person said, well, it's more than that. Uh, the ugly butter caterpillar uh, hides into a cocoon 
or the caterpillar eggs uh, form what we call a slimy larva and that is wrapped around wrapped in a cocoon and hibernates in a cocoon and at least I remember as a child opening up some of those cocoons and I was sorry I did that anyway it's kind of a ugly looking insect uh, and better to leave it in the cocoon and during the winter months it germinates and more metamorphosizes transforms and then springtime it bursts out of the cocoon into a beautiful butterfly this larva this hibernation has deep symbolism the larva symbolizes the sinful person the person riddled with defects and sins that form a barrier be from becoming the beautiful light of Jesus and that larva in the cocoon signifies uh, the struggle and the time it takes to be transformed and to burst out of the cocoon. In the case of the butterfly, there's multi-meanings. One practical meaning is that the mechanism of the death and resurrection of Christ that we acquire in baptism is at work. And if we cooperate, our weaknesses, our defects, our sinfulness, little by little is overcome by the power of the Paschal mystery, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we become like him. The beauty of that insect is a symbol of the resurrected Jesus, the beauty of a flower. The same. Without contradicting that significance, the slimy larva signifies someone riddled with suffering. Suffering saps energy, causes dread, causes fear, causes sadness. In the case of illness, we are not our full selves, at least physically, etc. And if that suffering is embraced in union with the cross, again we rise with Christ in this life, and we are transformed. I recall, perhaps it's a bit of a generic anecdote, learning so much from people who are sick or suffering, 
many of them close friends of mine, where before they experienced in a more profound way contradiction, perhaps financial failure, physical disability, emotional pain, I would say that person's a good average person with pluses and minuses that are the case of all of us. Some are better actors than others. And in a number of these cases, these people opted, decided, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to use this opportunity to try to be more united to him. And I don't need a theology book. In a certain sense, I could could have videoed it. In a way, I don't need even faith, just judging by these experiences, even though we all need faith. Faith in the cross, faith in the resurrection, obviously. But noticing the butterfly, noticing the conversions, the state of conversion, the transformations, the growth in humility and compassion, the profundity of their prayer life, their honesty about their themselves, about their weaknesses, their growing affection and warmth and compassion. Each person is very individual. But I would say that's the common thread. I remember a buddy of mine, quite different, and he came from the Boston area. I come from the New York area. Grew up in New Jersey. And... Uh, Perhaps I shouldn't reveal this amid meditation on the resurrection, but um, I grew up rooting for the Yankees, and my friend grew up rooting for the Red Sox. And uh, he would never fail, especially in baseball season, to remind me how he despised the Yankees, since we won more championships, I, I was more of a sport and didn't respond too much. Once in a while, I would. He became very sick. In fact, he became terminally ill. And uh, he had a baseball hat in his sick room. And with a little caption right above the visor, I hate the Yankees. And I said, well, you have to keep that on display when you know I'm going to visit you. 
and he reacted immediately, in jest, but reacted immediately and apologized and said, I didn't, I didn't purchase this. It was given to me. I should have put it in a drawer. And then I piped in. I said, you're definitely pretty sick. Um, you're even nice to me, even regarding the Yankees. This is a profound conversion you're going through. And he laughed and began to criticize the Yankees again. But that obviously, we're both needling each other. But even though I said this in jest, he was, you could almost take a picture that the physiology of the Paschal mystery, the death and resurrection of Christ, was extremely active. Why is this such a joyful season? And we're going to ask our Lord in this prayer, we are asking him, to increase our faith. Because this truth that Jesus rose from the dead has tremendous practical value. And maybe the theological knee-jerk reaction is, yes, we will all resurrect on the last day. I don't know about you, but I'm not too focused on the resurrection on the last day. There's a number of steps to be taken. First, I need to get to check out of this life, and my body has to separate from the soul, and we have to wait for the end of the world. So it's not something that is habitually on my mind, even though it is a truth of faith and it is our ultimate hope. But this resurrection occurs in everybody who is baptized as long as he or she allows the mechanism of the resurrection to activate or to be active. Why is this so important? St. Maria states it very beautifully in his celebrated homily found in Christ's Passing By, an Easter homily called Christ's Presence in Christians. Christ is alive. This is the great truth which fills our faith with meaning. Jesus, who died on the cross, has risen. He has triumphed over death. He has overcome sorrow, anguish, and the power of darkness. Do not be terrified was how the angels greeted the women who came to the tomb. Do not be terrified. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. This is the day 
which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. What does St. Jose Maria mean that death has been conquered, sin has been conquered, suffering has been conquered, the prince of darkness, the devil, has been conquered. And now the world is gripped by this painful and too oftentimes lethal pandemic. The world economy has been paralyzed, some of it collapsed. People feel filled with fear. Churches empty. People sorrowful over loved ones who are sick or or who have died. What's painful to see is the Holy Father saying Mass, celebrating the Easter Triduum with, it, with no one there. That's a first for many centuries. What does all this mean? And we make that act of faith that yes, there is death, but the resurrection of Jesus opens the gates of everlasting life. Separation of soul and body is not the last word. It's not the conclusion. It's the beginning. I'm still riddled with weaknesses, subject to temptation. We still commit sin. But act one after the resurrection was Jesus' institution of the sacrament of reconciliation. He has overcome sin by rising from the dead. His resurrection is the victory that the buying power of Jesus' suffering and death has won an infinite amount of grace to forgive every sin. Anytime we sin and repent, we begin again. There's a resurrection. There's a new life. The reality of suffering how is that true? There is the power of the resurrection. As we pray for an end to this pandemic, but at the same time, we unite the suffering involved with Jesus on the cross. That suffering brings about a more 
profound encounter with Christ. And in a mysterious way, we grow in holiness and win graces so that others can encounter the joy and hope of the resurrected Jesus. The resurrection tells us that we, the follower of Christ, doesn't just suffer. Just like our Lord's work of redemption did not end with his death on the cross, it ended with his death and resurrection. And any time we invoke the Lord, there is that transformation. St. Maria especially appreciated Romans 8.28 All things work unto the good for those who love God. He loved that quote so much that he had part of that phrase in Latin etched in marble, strategically placed uh, in the headquarters of Opus Dei and other centers. Omnium bonum, which is a, a phrase taken out of the Latin verse of all things work out for the best for those who love God. What does that say? That the joy of the resurrection is always working. And going back to the original anecdote of the butterfly, we notice, and sorry for my lack of uh, knowledge of insects, I'm a city boy. The larva does not become a beautiful butterfly literally overnight. Months of winter serve as his time or its time of hibernation. And it takes time for that prickly, slimy larva to become a beautiful, attractive butterfly. And so I can't tell the Holy Spirit as I face ordinary contradictions of each day or something much more extraordinary like the pandemic, especially if it affects us personally or immediately. We are a larva. And we do become that butterfly in terms of signifying holiness of life. Again, our Lord, by rising, by dying and rising from the dead, God tells us how much we are loved and that God wants to give us the gold. Yes, the whole world that com- comes from God and it's good. But we are created ultimately for everlasting life through Jesus Christ. Perfect God, perfect man who's alive. We continue contemplating what this resurrection of Jesus means. The great majority of people are undergoing a sacramental fast, a Eucharistic fast, 
but it's literally a Eucharistic fast that many are deprived of receiving the Eucharist or being able to kneel or sit before the tabernacle. It could be streamlined. It could be the Eucharist could be presented us presented to us through Zoom. But all of us know it's not the same. We'll take it, but it's not the same. And the resurrection tells us that yes, he is with us in the Eucharist. He is alive. This is what gives our faith meaning. What is the Eucharist? But it's not the true presence of a dead Christ. It's the presence of the Eucharist, of the resurrected Christ. Resurrected Jesus, true God and true man. And in a practical sense, and I could speak about all of us collectively who have recourse to the resurrected Jesus in the host, in the tabernacle, in the monstrance, what a consolation that is. What a great blessing that is, that is a consequence of his death and resurrection. I have him with me. What a treasure I have that I could resurrect again from my sinfulness through the sacrament of reconciliation because Christ has overcome sin. The evil one does not have the last word. What's his specialty? I don't think his specialty is to crack mirrors or make beds vibrate or scare us at night. It's to lose hope. Is to lose joy. Is to push prayer life aside with, with the excuse of many things to do. But as we go to our Lord, we are strengthened to overcome that. And so his grip and his power has been reduced. Yes, he'll tempt us. But that power of his death and resurrection overcomes everything. Jesus, as we talk to you, what practical resolution can I make on occasion of this wonderful truth of faith that bypasses space and time? We're not just celebrating an historical event. Yes, it happened in history. But Jesus is very much alive. That resurrection has not lost any of its freshness. I was blessed to have been in the Holy Land and blessed to say Mass 
in Galilee on the shores of Lake Genezareth, where tradition has it, Jesus cooked breakfast for the apostles as the apostles or some of the apostles were fishing in that lake. And he shouted to them. He had already risen from the dead. Come have breakfast. And he gave Peter a chance to begin again in a very gentle way, very moving way. Peter, son of John, do you love me? Peter responded, Lord, you know that I love you. I'll be more precise. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than the others? Which was his sin of presumption, of arrogance, where he contrasted himself with his brother apostles, saying, even though they would leave you and leave you alone, I would not. And uh, he experienced that without the grace of God. We fall flat on our face. Anyway, Jesus three times asked him, Son of John, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. And in the grand finale, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Well, during this Easter season, let's resolve to spend time in silent meditation in the presence of the resurrected Jesus. And perhaps to fill the day with little short prayers, aspirations to him and his mother as a practical way of embracing this truth, this center of our faith, this consolation in hope. And we congratulate the Blessed Mother for the resurrection of her son. We ask her to pray for us so that we could share in her joy in contemplating her son's victory. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for.